0: This podcast is brought to you by Toasted Marshmallow Adventures Studio. Contact them at GetToasted at ToastedMarshmallowAdventures.com for all of your podcast production needs.
1: Good morning and welcome to Not Everyone Gets a Trophy with Amy and Mo.
2: Well, good morning and welcome to our show. It's Not Everyone Gets a Trophy with hashtag Princess Amy and Mo. (laughs) Did you not like that?
0: (laughs) It was great. It was great. Right?
2: Mo has a problem with how I'm introducing (laughs) our show. So if he doesn't calm down, I'm going to let him start doing all the work.
0: Which I've been doing the work. But welcome to episode number 15. Is it 15? episode 15
2: no it's not it is. it's number 16 or 16 16
0: <laughs> <laughs> episode 16 and um we're almost it's season one i think we're gonna end up with season one at the end of the year right
2: well i don't know if it goes by season it does okay
0: all right so today we have this amazing person who every time i need something i call the neighbor because when something goes wrong you call your neighbor the coolest thing is when you do actually do have a neighbor who is a med student, because they don't charge you, <laughs> and I think that's great.
2: I love free healthcare. It, it
0: should be free. Hey, right, so every time I don't know.
2: No, like, it can't be free. I work in healthcare. I need a paycheck.
0: Yeah, so every time I have this headache that I've never had before, if, I, if I'm a little paranoid, I just, I just, I just call my neighbor,
1: and I always lie. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> I tell him he's fine every time.
2: <laughs> well, welcome.
1: Spencer. <laughs>
2: Spencer, the cool neighbor. Mo's, Mo's cool neighbor. Yeah. Welcome to our show, Spencer. Thank
0: you, Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. And That'd you've be been him. listening to our podcast, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. I haven't listened to every episode, but I, I have listened to, I've heard several. Yeah.
2: So, Spencer, you are currently in med school. hmm And you have a... Uh, I don't know what's your hidden talent or what's your, what's your,
0: what <laughs> your hidden talent, like your hobby or
2: <laughs> no, like what are you going to specialize in?
0: Sure. Yeah. What, what have
2: you decided to do since you've been in med school? Cause med school is hard and there's a lot of different avenues that you can go down. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I definitely have, um, I really like complex, serious problems, um, I like to take You're care of people. You're definitely going to like me. Oh, great, great. <laughs> yes. A complex serious problem. Um, so dumpster yeah.
2: fire right here.
1: <laughs> you said it. I, no one else. I said never that. lie. Okay, I appreciate that. Yeah, so um, kind of leaning towards internal medicine, potentially surgery, critical care. Um, definitely not going to be a pediatrician.
0: I keep trying to bug him to be a, pe- a pe- doctor.
1: There's no way. I Why? love kids. I love kids. Why Working not? with kids professionally is a nightmare. <laughs> it's so hard. You have to like develop a whole different language and like different skills to actually try to elicit what's going on with them. It's it's so hard, and there's so many people who are passionate about pediatrics. So mo power, more power to them Go for it. Well, I, I mo power to them Mo power. Don't even. <laughs> Sorry. No. Like
0: Amy. helping Amy and mo power. No mo. No mo.
2: Yeah, mo, that's no right. mo. Yeah, no mo problems.
0: So let's go back to how you started, right? And one of the things that interested, I was like, oh, I have to bring this guy. So we work in this industry of psychiatric hospitals. Mm-hmm. I've never been to state hospital. Mm-hmm. And one day we were talking. He's like, I have a rotation at state hospital south. And I'm like, oh, tell me all about it. Right. I mean, yeah, because
2: we are isolated to one hospital. I, like I, I work in men- mental health, and I've only practiced at one hospital. So mm-hmm. I hear about other places, but I don't really know what goes on. Mm-hmm. So like, and,
0: and the worst part is, if you have a family member who goes to the state hospital, it is five hours away from here. Yeah, you can't even visualize what it looks like. Who's there, and what you can visualize is all those scary movies that you would see of people like. Shock therapy, mm-hmm. like putting things up your nose.
2: Yeah, like the insane asylums. Mm-hmm. So,
0: for a family member who perhaps is has a family member there or is going, like, can you walk us through a little bit of man, a little bit of what it what it feels like? Yeah, or what have you
1: observed. Sure, I, and you know, just to kind of preface this. This facility is not terribly old. I think I think it was built in the 80s or the 90s. Um, it was originally founded the same year that Idaho became a state, and it was called the Idaho Insane Asylum. Oh. Wow. Which See, is, the, the name, the yeah, name. Yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. Um, yes, and
2: that's kind of a scary thing, because yeah. what we have been introduced to as a society is that really crazy people go there, and really mm. weird things happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and... that's not necessarily untrue. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's it's not, that's not exclusively what, what goes on there, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a newer ish building. Um, they have kind of four separate wings, um, for dependent upon the kind of problem that the person has that they're going to, um, the hospital only takes involuntary admissions. So either folks who, um, have been, deemed that they they need to have this care um or they're you know need to receive care coming from jail something like that but generally people who end up at the state hospital are are being sent there by the state um each wing has a separate kind of men's and women's side they have kind of a common area in the center as well as some um like a field area in the back so they can get some time outside if they have that particular privilege <clears throat> uh but generally um a you know regular day for a patient there's 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 a variety of like group therapies that happen each day. There's a couple different activities that happen. They can check out books in the library, watch movies, listen to music, things like that. And they have um, meetings with their um, social workers generally every day, every other day, and then a meeting with a psychiatrist once to twice a week, kind of dependent if they if they need more follow up or not um okay
2: so i have a question about you being at state hospital Mm -hmm. if you're going into internal medicine is and that's kind of what we were talking about um what what are you doing at state hospital how do you end up there yeah why how did you get in that rotation
1: so medical students are required to complete um there's quite a few electives we can do but there's a certain core set of rotations that that we have to do no that was that was one psychiatry is one of the core rotations that everyone has to do
2: well, I think mm-hmm. that anybody needs to have some sort of like basic foundation of mental health. Yeah. Going into medicine, well, actually going into any job, um, but for sure medicine.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, and I, I mean, the time that I had there was has really been invaluable in terms of like how I approach, you know, an encounter with a patient. <laughs> <laughs> as I approach Mo. Um, <laughs> oh God. I've learned how to deal with. You let, know.
2: let me let me just like have that moment. For He's a off second. his pill. <laughs> He
0: yeah.
2: needs. Oh, he needs a, he needs a like foundation. Old
0: the neighbor i running down the street
1: naked. He's like,
2: <laughs> I had to have a mental health stability. Like I had to have a rotation in mental health just so I could deal with Mo.
1: Yeah, but just yeah, my neighbor. Oh gosh. Huh.
2: Okay, keep going. Sorry,
1: but yeah, I was. It you know it was really fascinating to you know the the first patient I saw was a woman who was who has been convinced that she um, is going to have twins. It was pregnant with twins for about three years. Um, you know, has seen, of course, multiple negative tests and all that type of stuff, but you know, she's, it's her delusion. Um, so she has some kind of, you know, thought disorder. Um, but actually seeing that and talking to someone who is experiencing a delusion or is depressed or is manic or, you know, experiencing a variety of, of psychiatric conditions, it's totally different than reading about it in a book. Um, and I realized how horribly, you can end up handling these situations with someone when you haven't actually had experience and learned how to like navigate through these problems. Like the second patient that I saw was admitted he'd had six or I think seven suicide attempts. And um, this most recent one was a um, suicide attempt with um, overdose, but he'd had a variety of different methods that he had tried over the years. And uh, I just caught myself as I'm trying to like kind of elicit his history, just like, my hands are just giant hams just trying to like ask him about so on your third attempt you know what did you use you know just like how horrible that is for someone to just relive yeah experience in that way and there's much better ways to actually find out that information which you need to it's important information but um yeah definitely lessons that i've i've carried through into my other rotations and and like family medicine especially um a lot of folks dealing with psychiatric problems and you know really poor access to psych help here so a lot of frontline work being done in the family medicine clinics here
2: then wow so when you're at the state hospital do you think that being there and being around those people is going to help you with your bedside manner when you go to practice mm-hmm. in, oh. your, in your specialty
1: yeah i, I think definitely uh um you know, I'm not I don't walk into every room wondering, like, how how am I going to end up triggering this schizoaffective person? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Okay. But but still, I mean, learning how to elicit information in a respectful way um, and just taking into account someone's mental state and taking a second when you walk into the room to just even do a quick like, how do I think you are? Yeah, <laughs> right now? Kind of
2: read, read the room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I just love that you bring that up because there's a huge difference in book smarts and then actual people smarts. And so just because you go to medis- medical school and you start practicing medicine doesn't make you a great doctor. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you understand what I'm saying? So like I have gone in my own experience to medical professionals for help and I'm I'm a fairly healthy person, but I've gone into situations where I'm like what the actual f just happened in there. Mm-hmm. Because I have, I have like my own knowledge bank. I'm like, well, I knew that. Mm-hmm. So that didn't make sense. So then I started putting it together. So for someone that doesn't know that though, they don't work in healthcare and they bring their family member or themselves to a clinic for help for some sort of condition or acute situation. They kind of just put all their faith into healthcare professionals that they know what they're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. and
0: I have a question, which is either I'm going to ask it or I'm going to forget. Okay. But just as a person who you know you're not going to be a psychiatrist, perhaps you end up like as a PCP, would this be their exposure hypothetically? Would this be it?
1: Uh, for most people, yeah. Uh, I mean, outside of, I mean, if you're in any primary care setting, you're going yeah. to encounter a lot of psych problems. Um, but in terms of like, Training in dealing with them unless their, you know, residency program puts significant emphasis on going over that again, which some programs are doing more now. I mean, that's really your exposure to... Yeah, which to is scary because care. there's a
0: lot of people we see who their medications are coming from their PCP, mm-hmm. right? So if that's true, then it's very, it's very hard to approach it, right? As, as a med student, how do you know, like, actually the definition of schizoaffective versus bipolar 2... And one thing is reading about it and then seeing it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the point of like really trying to, you know, bring people into medical school who are passionate about continued learning, you know, lifelong learning. Because, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a common trope in, in medicine that, you know, the as soon as you start residency, you have to relearn medicine again <laughs> because you spend all this time learning all of the... The, the book stuff, the stuff you need for the exams, for your boards, like the weird trigger words and stuff. And then once you're out practicing, that's not super relevant really anymore. Um, and then and once you're actually an intern and you have responsibility and you're, you know, figuring out plans and assessing people and, you know, what's going to come next, you know, you have to start to soak up all that information again because um, it's not the same as when you see it in a textbook. And that's, that's certainly true of, of, of psych Patients as well, um, especially in just like recognizing an issue. I don't know how many people that I've seen diagnosed with like you know schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, and it's just like oh this this person is manic and they're having some hallucinations with their mania, and that's that's it. That's it. Yeah, right? and it's like okay, Ta-da! that's not that's not what that you know. Yeah.
2: Slap them with the like diagnosis. even
1: a UTI. I mean, it happens oh, all the yeah. time where mm-hmm. we have people
0: coming in and. And everyone always thinks, oh, they're, they're schizophrenic. And then, I mean, I think the doctors are pretty good to see, like, well, how old are they? Well, is this the first break? Well, that's the first thing you check, right? That's yeah. one of the things that I've learned working in that environment. But if you don't spend that much time, it's those little things that, that you're not going to remember. Mm-hmm. You might remember perhaps the medication, yeah, right, and, and, and the big things. But um, I do see a lot of disconnect between the PCP and a psychiatrist like i feel like there that's that's a huge disconnection
1: yeah and i I think especially in an area like this where access to psychiatrists is so limited like i think in east idaho i think there's two i know one retired recently i think there's only one or two actual um physician psychiatrists excuse me in east idaho which is just wild for that an area. That blows my yeah. mind.
2: That's not enough.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's psych NPs and NPAs as well, um, which is great. And I'm so happy for, for mid-level providers to be filling that gap. It's, it's excellent. Um, but yeah, it, think there's an increasing burden, increasing burden on primary care folks to have a, a more usable knowledge base in psychiatry because the, the, um, the foundation's just not there, um, in terms of like actual access to providers mm-hmm. so
0: so what was i guess going into it your 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 knowledge did they did they prep you did they say go read about all these diagnoses and and then and go for it or do you learn as you go like what is your mm-hmm. like how does that happen
1: so you know we had a mental health block second year of medical school that was you know kind of my foundational knowledge base for moving forward and i reviewed some things before i started um, the only assignment I had my first day of the rotation, my preceptor said, um, just make a list of generic medicines and then put the brand name next to them. Cause we use them interchangeably all the time. Make sure you know those. And then from then on, you know, I had, I had education for my preceptor. I had my own texts that I was going through and we had like weekly didactics. Um, so yeah, certainly when you're on the rotation, there are educational goals that you need to be achieving, which are doable. The The problem is retaining that information mm-hmm. long you know, term. Right? Yeah. That's what I, that's what I was twenty. Like a, like a 20- so,
2: yeah. So my question is, is do you feel since you've done your your mental health rotation that it has prepared you for your practice when you go into your specialty?
1: I, I think so. Yeah. And I, but I think more the combination of because, I mean, the, an inpatient state hospital is a, is another level of. Uh, it actually is a really unique patient population because most people there are not in a, you know, they're not super agitated okay. because they've already been pumped full of Haldol and, and, and benzos, So they're actually pretty chill by the time they get there for the most part. I mean, they're, they're of course, <laughs> plenty of times and things go awry. Um, well,
2: a lot of these people that do, <clears throat> that are at the state hospital, haven't they come from acute care facilities? Yes. Because I don't know. I'm not sure if like state hospitals take patients like straight from an ER or straight from a house. All I know in my experience is they go from an acute care facility to them.
1: Yeah. Or so, the jail. Mm-hmm. so the, right. the, the okay, general so. pathway, the, there's the jail route. Mm-hmm. There is um, coming from, you know, kind of like a mid-level psych hospital when they say, you know, like, hey, we can't, we, we don't have the the means or the, you know, the safety measures to deal with this person. Sometimes they come straight from the ER as well um, if they are so agitated or, um, you know, the, the facility doesn't have the space or, you know, they say we, we, we don't think we have the means to, to care for this person right now. Then that's another way that they can come straight to the hospital or or if they've previously been found to not because there's a lot of frequent flyers at, at the state hospital. Oh. So, um, uh, which is unfor- again, I think one of the biggest things that kind of breaks my heart about that facility is. You don't because it's a state-run facility. People aren't there until they're better. They're there until they can are competent enough to face trial, or you know what have you. It's basically get them stable, and then as soon as they're stable, we say, "Please God, take your medicines, please," and then they leave. And then a few months later, they're back uh, often, Um, which is which is you know, which which in theory, when
0: they're discharging, they should be independently functional, right? They should be able to take their meds. They should be able to cook for themselves. They should be doing all these things, right?
1: Generally, I, I mean, the, the actual goals for, uh, for discharge are individualized to the patient. But generally, it's, it's not even can they take these things and can they live independently? Because oftentimes they're discharged back to a house or back to right. another care okay. facility. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically what, like, do they have an adequate degree of um just recognition of their of of what's going on or and, like
2: safety awareness like they're yes. not a danger to themselves is it that or danger yes. of Others. the
0: initial concern because I, I that's what i've noticed right they came in for hallucinations are they experiencing that if if they're not if they taking the meds and push them out right
1: yeah it, and it's kind of more along those lines basically basically the facility wants to get people in and out quickly Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying they're kicking people out when they are you know totally disoriented they're not doing that but it's it's not a definitive care center um there are a lot of people who could benefit from longer stays and a lot of people who could benefit from not being there at all it is the worst place to be if you are suicidal or depressed it's a horrible place to be especially in covid you can't go outside you like can't do anything you're just like stuck stuck inside in this kind of these like bleak halls oh my gosh these facilities were designed for people you know who are really agitated and having you know thought disorders but for like depressed people man it's just the worst it's just the worst place to be
0: were you exposed to syringa
1: uh i uh some i think patients who came from there i've never been okay. there but
0: okay i was wondering because i know that it's like they call it the place of no return kind of thing um and i've never really understood what it is i was wondering if you were exposed to it
1: or not at the that's the oh shoot no the syringa is that the is that like the it's like older
0: there's
1: it's is it at the same site yeah right i'm trying to remember because there's a that there's the main state hospital facility then there's like this brand new Mm -hmm. like nursing home facility which i think is that's syringa yeah it's really nice it's really Beautiful. It's like brand spanking yeah, new. They redid it, I think. Yeah, know. it's like a brand new building. It looks really nice. Um it is like a, you know, um elderly care facility. So in terms of it being a place of no return. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so yeah. you know yeah. what I you know what I find really interesting is if you made that comment about um people that are depressed and suicidal and it's kinda like the worst place to be. But where else would they be if they were not safe? So, um, I mean I experienced that with, with some of the kids I've I have worked with in there, you know, they tell me it like, this is torture. I feel worse here. And my best information or the best response is at least you're safe. And, you know, it does bring
0: a different perspective. Like they do say that this is the worst. And I'm like, but you're depressed. Like, like,
2: yeah. So, so it's a challenge because my response is, you know, like I, I tell, I tell kids and I tell parents like I'd rather have a pissed off kid for being where they're safe than a dead kid Mm -hmm. so where if they're not safe because they are suicidal and 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 usually at state um or these higher level of care facilities these patients are like chronically ill and they are serious Mm -hmm. so if they are not there where do they go
1: well and i know there's there's nowhere else for them to go Mm -hmm. um which which and that's that's what's terrible is that like like you're right like i'd rather have you be here and be safe than than the alternative um but certainly you know it doesn't take much imagination to think of a better situation for someone who's experiencing severe depression and suicidality Mm -hmm. um it's just I'm, i'm doing some research right now developing some research um around like Integrating like plants into exam rooms and into like medical facilities, because there's a lot, actually a lot of literature on how plants positively impact mood and well-being and satisfaction in a variety of like other settings. Um, but you know those simple things and like design, access to nature, all of those have researched, confirmed you know positive impacts on people's moods, um, and the absence of them has negative impacts so if we're looking at someone who is suffering from depression um, putting them in a facility that is designed to be as unstimulating as possible for people with um, thought disorders and um, hallucinations that's uh yeah that's not that's not a good fit for those patients
0: never thought about that but that's, that's interesting. And that's what I, I wanted to talk about this because it gives you a perspective as to if I'm sending my kid there, I assume this place is where things are going to be solved. And if I don't have the other side of the coin of saying, well, that's not entirely the case, like, yes, we're getting the medication under control, we're trying to do everything with the medicine component. But as far as like the human being itself, like, it, they're not getting their needs met. If it's COVID, you can't go outside. If it's snowing, you can't mm-hmm. like the vitamin D, like the sun, all those things that you should be getting. They're not getting
1: mm-hmm. um, one thing I do, I do want to bring up, too, because I love the staff that I worked with there. The people there care so much. I was really surprised, I guess, by um, how much just an investment and in care, The especially especially the social work team and the nursing staff and the and the providers um, gave to these patients and, you know, recognizing these, these problems in the facility, I was, I was really blown away. So I I don't want to make it sound like this terribly bleak place. Well, I I can
2: also like attest to that because there are so many jobs in healthcare right now. And I've, I have a lot of experience in a lot of different areas in nursing and by far mental health is the most exhausting Hmm. nursing that I've ever done. So I know i work there because i have a passion for it so i think most people that work in mental health facilities it's because they they do they're affected in one way or another by suicide depression mood disorders thought disorders Mm -hmm. and they choose to work there because they they're that they're that passionate about about impacting someone's life so i I can imagine that they're just phenomenal staff i know i work with like some of the best people i know truly
0: yeah no it's good to, to hear that part because yes You know, it's like the asylum,
2: right?
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um,
0: But if you know there's good people, genuinely good people there, it brings a sense of peace. Mm -hmm. Even though perhaps now you know, well, maybe it shouldn't be what, you know, this crazy adventurous thing either because then it promotes like, well, shoot, every time life gets hard, there's paradise, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's, there's this combination of, well, we have to get, this job done
1: and if it looks like disneyland well we're gonna struggle getting people out yes yeah yes and but i i think that's a really good point but i think it's also important to be careful in the way that we talk about like these these psychiatric problems and when people need to access care versus just to use what you had said like when things get really hard you know like when Mm -hmm. life gets hard yeah um because when life gets hard for you and me is different than when life gets hard for someone with a you know profound psychiatric problem so i i think i think you're right and we need to be careful in how we like allot people to facilities and like is this care that, that you really need um but we shouldn't this is a kind of half-baked idea, but I think we need to be careful not to withhold pleasures, I guess. Yeah. Um it's, if someone is is really suffering.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like a fine line. Yeah. And it really does take a really creative individual to be able to facilitate both treatment and like that that Disneyland like mm-hmm. uh like positive reinforcement and get and yeah. give them the like the, the grace and the pardon and the, you know, like praise. And yeah, that's that's one of the biggest things that I think that we have a Yeah, have and, a hard and time time I can give with. an
0: example of my daughter going to San Francisco, We're going to Lucille Packard. Mm. Like we go there and everything's like wow. Like it's it's this treatment that it's just almost perfect. Like the, 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 it's just fluid and it's it's meant for care and for families and there's this like this almost this wrap around and and you feel like things are just gonna go well then there's this and, and when we talk about mental health we're like so far from that mm-hmm. we are removed as though like what we're doing is enough like i don't it's, it's very hard for us to like I, I see the medications that we're giving I see the things that we're doing the structure perhaps changes outside the building but 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 the, just this idea of us educating the, the public as to where we should invest, it's not moving. I, I don't mm-hmm. see it moving.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, psychiatric care is absolutely in the in the dark ages relative to, like, other fields of medicine. Like, the medicines that we use are so just, like, brute force <laughs> on your brain. I mean, they're, they're just there. There's no nuance or finesse to how they work. They're not elegant drugs at all. Um, but we know that they help in some some patients which is great i'm not and i'm not against the use of these medicines we need the medicines um but they're they are you know throwing a truck at a at a very small more um more precise problem
2: i think that it's just from my perspective it's it's really hard to treat like these disorders because we have different medications that we can use but there's no cure so in The medical part, you know, you break a bone, uh, we do this, 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 and this, and then it heals, and we use this medication, that medication, that surgery, this surgery. It's like we have a protocol for any sort of medical need that you would that you would have, but in mental health or psychiatric disorders, these are going to be chronic issues. Like some some of them are acute, and some of them are chronic. So, I I feel like it's always going to be this battle between like thinking we're doing the right thing and then trying to think outside the box to do better.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, There is a treatment though. It's called a prefrontal lobotomy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is that where you, they put the the thing up your nose?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I get to go transpinoidal through the, you know, my kid always starts to
0: do that with his uh, Q-tip.
2: He's performing his own lobotomy.
1: well, one, a, is if it long he, enough? If you he suddenly appears really like calm and, you know, relaxed some one day, that's why I'm like, do it again. Oh, <laughs> <Uh-oh. laughs> like
2: he's catatonic. <laughs> All right. You did it, son. Good job. High five. Oh, wait. You can't do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So i am got another question. Hmm. What is the difference between MD and DO?
1: Yeah. Great question. Because well, I,
0: I, I, I sort of explain it. I, I always say DOs are like the social workers and then the MDs are more like the LPCs.
2: I don't think that's right. Like, that's inter- an
0: that's an interesting thought. Oh, but far from that hot. Huh? <laughs> no, he's so
2: nice when he like slams you down. Like, right. Interesting. That's different. Well, all right.
1: Yeah,
2: I like that's it. Like that's my answer.
1: neighbor. That's why I know he can't say no to me. It all comes from my mother. She was she's absolutely that person. Just like hmm, interesting. And then you're like crying because you're like, oh, mom, <laughs> <I'm> so mean. <laughs> this is the best that I can do. Sorry, Karen. I love you. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, uh, Dio's started showing up, um, AT still kind of the father of osteopathic medicine, which Dio stands for doctor of osteopathic medicine. MD is a doctor of medicine. Um, he showed up kind of late 1800s and kind of developed this, these principles around like how the body and like the connective tissue, muscles, bones, and everything's kind of connected. Um, and as you help the the body physically align appropriately and, and be in a position of health, that increases the body's ability to do what it needs to take care of itself. If that makes sense. Yes. Um, in you know modern day today, um, MDs and DOs go through four years of, of medical training. DOs have their own um, like certification exam, um, which is the COMLEX. Uh, MDs have the USMLE. A lot of DOs actually take the USMLE. Um, uh, and then um, we actually the the graduate medical education system. The, you know, the residency programs, those are all combined at this point. So we all are eligible for the same residency programs. Um, DOs can do all of the same uh, residencies that MD scan effectively in terms of like, if you go to see a DO versus an MD, you're, you're going to get the same like quality of care. There's not going to be a, a difference in that regard. DOs just have this, basically this osteopathic, osteopathic manipulative therapy add-on which is, I mean, it's foundational to kind of how we approach patients, but um, uh, it's kind of like...
2: Bonus material. Yeah. It
1: sounds like
0: <laughs> even just you talking, the, I mean, the wording of everything you're saying right now sounds mm-hmm. very complicated.
1: It's... It, it, if, if not all osteopathic physicians do OMT um, in, their, in their practice. There's actually kind of a small percentage of, of osteopaths who are doing OMT. But really, it's if you think about like physical therapy meets kind of like some of the manipulations you might see a chiropractor you know that do song, like, head shoulders
2: knees and toes it's like all. it's basically connected. that it's basically yeah. just head shoulders knees and toes <laughs> so it's, it's all about connecting uh, everything and putting it in uh, the so spot like a
0: holistic approach
1: yes I, I, it's it's funny because in the actual like osteopathic community. Holism is like just holistic approach is like such an annoying word because everyone's talking about how holistic it is. And we're, you know, we approach the patient, you know, body (laughs) medicine. It's just, it's, it's just funny, but yes, absolutely. It's a, it's a holistic approach. Not to say that an MD does not take a holistic approach. This is not like an MD versus DO situation. Um, we work together in harmony. We do the same types of procedures, you know, they're DO neurosurgeons, you know, it's all, it's, you know, we're all practicing together, doing the same types of things. Just DOs have some additional training, uh, you know, a slightly different philosophical approach to patient care, but, um, I love DOs. Obviously I'm, I'm becoming a DO, so I'm, I'm a fan of it. Um, but there's really no like crazy weird difference that like you would, you should not see a DO because, you know, maybe they weren't trained as well or something like that. It's just like, that's just total bunk. It's just not true
0: so in idaho we don't have an md program we have a Mm -hmm. a, a do program Mm -hmm. right and that just opened up what like five six years ago
1: uh it opened in 2018 because i started i started in 2019 i actually was going to be in the first the very first class in 2018 and then i decided to defer until the following year but
2: so spencer i have a question what made you go into medicine
0: oh gosh my crazy neighbor
2: I thought he was your cool neighbor. <laughs> wow. okay. me,
0: no, me, you're me. you're my crazy neighbor.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh. <laughs> um, How do I don't help him. So I won't make it a crazy long story, but kinda going through high school was like dead set on I'm gonna be uh I'm gonna be a pilot in the Marines. That's what I wanna do. I wanna fly the VTOL F thirty fives, which weren't even out yet, and I think they still don't work, which is great. <laughs> I you know, dodged that bullet, I guess. Um but then started in school um and uh thought perceived what i believe to be a call to ministry so i changed my whole setup at school and i uh, became a ministry major um about 6 months into that program realized through a i'll spray the details of that but that wasn't what i was you know feeling like i was called to do so took a couple years exploring just about every single you know major you can think of kind of settled on political science actually graduated with a degree in political science um, and then at the kind of the conclusion of my sophomore year, I was talking to my dad, who is just the sage and love my dad. I'm such a good guy. What does your dad um, do? My dad works in food production management. I've done that forever. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what that
0: is, but it sounds like, like he, he's
2: <laughs> well I like food.
0: Sounds like he makes yeah. like a lot of Cheetos
1: and <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's basically, I mean he worked for like Purina forever manufacturing it's it's That's all just dog like dog food, manu- right? Yeah, Purina. but he Purina the dog food is a different company from Purina, the like animal feed.
0: Yeah, it's not okay. like M D O and D O nothing like that.
1: And it's not che- <laughs> and it's not Cheetos. Chetos. Chetos. Oh, <laughs> oh <my Takis. laughs> oh, okay, no. it's getting weird now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um yeah. So he was talking to me about, I was trying to kind of work through what I wanted to do. And I was feeling like, you know, I could go to law school. I could maybe get a, you know, get some more education in political science, do a PhD program. And we were just kind of like chatting about that. And then he just like casually said like, you know, you could be a be a doctor if you wanted. And I had literally never ever in my life thought about healthcare as something that I could do or would do. Never cared about it. Never had a lot of it. I mean, I loved science, but I never had much interest in like anatomy or like physiology, anything like that. But it's just like, it just like lit a fire in me, like almost immediately. And I just, it was like a two week, like fever dream of just like looking up, how do I do this? You know, what does it look like? All of this stuff. And I, so went you were this. already
0: out of college.
1: No, I was, I had finished my sophomore year. Okay. So I was starting, starting, well, I guess this, this was winter of my junior year. So I was going into second semester of junior year and I like totally changed up all of my classes and started doing all these prereqs and. Um, graduated on time, took an extra, extra year to finish a couple other classes for prereqs and applied a couple times and worked, worked for a few years. And,
0: and did it just happen that the school just opened up like, y- yeah, <laughs> right. Cause yeah. obviously it wasn't open. Yeah. And then just, boop.
1: yeah, it just was kind of a serendipitous thing, um, that it was, it was, it was popping up and Rachel and I were getting pretty serious about having a kid and, you know, we're nervous about moving to school somewhere we have such a good support system here and yeah so it it was it's been really great but yeah i guess ultimately you know i went into medicine because i you know i like i want to use the the gifts that i've been given and the things that i've cultivated in my life over over the years um i like complex problems i love people i love helping people um and really you know each visit i have with patients this sounds super tacky but really I'm just like more and more like inspired by them and inspired to take care of them. Um, Even, you know, those patients that show up at the state hospital and they're like, yeah, man, I love when I show up here. I just get fat and happy for a few weeks and then I go back home for a while and (laughs) and I'll come back. That's an actual quote from a guy just like, man, I can't wait to get fat and happy at the state hospital. It's like his eighth (laughs) time there, (laughs) which that's frustrating. Um, But uh, yeah, I just, I love what I do. And I love I love learning about the body and learning how to help the body and learning about all the things that impact someone's health outside of the body and how we can do better.
0: Wow. So when it came to COVID, right? Mm. Now that you're learning about medicine and, and, and you're a DO, because apparently DOs are supposed to be like, you know, a little bit more into it, right? More like holistic approach. Sure. What was your perception of this? Like, should we, should we not? Like, how, or, like... Not to put you on the standard yeah. thing, but just how did you make a, a a decision, a professional decision on on what it is and whether or not you should.
1: So we had a lecture um on on COVID a couple weeks before the first case was in Idaho. And um it was actually I think he was the I can't remember if he's the CEO or the CMO of primary health uh talking about COVID and kind of how they were preparing And at the time, you know, we weren't. It wasn't really that crazy. Like things hadn't really like gone wild in New York yet. Oh, my mom was already warning
0: me. And I'm like, Mom, what are you talking about? (laughs) She's like, No, you have to see the news. I'm like, Stop doing that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was it it was like before New York went crazy. Um, but he was he but basically by the end of it, he was like, I think millions of people are gonna die. And we're like, Whoa! And that was just kind of initially. I was thinking like, Well, maybe this is actually something really serious. And um, we took a little baby moon to Hawaii. And then I was I was on a call, um, like a, a conference call with the CDC um on our last day in Hawaii as they were kind of like outlining some of their recommendations to providers and stuff moving forward. And that was that was in March, and that was when I realized I'm staying in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Probably should have in hindsight. Um but uh yeah, that was pretty telling for me that like, well, there's big agencies that are taking this really seriously. And then it was not long after that, that things in New York just went crazy. And you know, the hospitals were filling up with bodies and all of that crazy stuff. Um,
2: Did you actually see like in your rotations of hospitals, the 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 hospitals filling up because there was so much controversy of people saying that there was such a big, huge spread and there was people all over the hospitals. There was like there there was no room. And then there was other people saying hospitals are empty. What are you guys freaking out about?
1: Hmm. Uh, Well, that was that was a a, earlier on. That was a a difficult thing to assess because it was so different in different parts of the country. I mean, some hospitals were just absolutely sland and others were like, we don't have any, we don't have any cases here. We're fine. COVID's not real. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, inevitably things went, went bad there as well. But um, during that time now I, I wasn't in hospitals yet, um, but certainly I, I was at St. Luke's during this most recent big, big Delta spike. And yeah, I mean, it was, I wasn't, I wasn't directly involved with the care of COVID patients because it was a policy that was like no residents or mm-hmm. medical students could work with, with COVID patients at that time. Um, but I was following the, following the data from the hospital pretty closely. And my, my preceptor was, uh, on call in the, in the, in the hospital. And yeah, we had COVID patients in the ICU, COVID patients in the, the surgical recovery units. We had a couple of different wings that were converted to COVID patient wings. Um, if like the, the big thing that was telling for me this, and during this last spike was if you have a stroke and you get TPA tissue, plasminogen activator, anyway, clot buster, you usually are monitored for 24 hours afterwards because there's a chance you could have mm-hmm. another bleed. Mm-hmm. They just stopped doing that oh, because they couldn't, they had nowhere for it. So people would come in into the ER, they give them TPA, they'd watch them, you know, as long as they could and then send them home and say, you know, call us if, <laughs> if, you if, it, yeah, if you have another stroke, uh, because so they just the didn't have the space
0: when, when not, Deteriorated, but it just went a different route because it had to. Yeah,
1: I think it deteriorated. Well, I think it's going (laughs) to kind of reinvent
2: part of like healthcare on how they treat these patients, um, just based on how people do respond because there was no room in the acute care facilities. I do believe that. But as far as like the COVID patients were there, um, going back to like like the mental health part of it, not just for the patients, but like for the staff taking care of COVID patients, um, were there a lot of like people really just like fatalities day after day and like people like just exhausted
1: yeah every every resident and attending that i've worked with since i started rotations just is tired they're just and they're all miserable and i've talked to a lot of residents already who are like i shouldn't have done this and when just, they
0: make those medications do they consider like psychiatric medication like if like the use of let's say like aristata how this would impact this medication in, oh, right. Or
1: does it is not really, in like, terms of like treatment of of like providers with,
0: yeah. For example, if I was going to go take the, the shot, right? Um,
2: COVID. Are we talking about COVID? COVID.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. COVID. Okay. And I'm I'm, I'm taking Nervostada. Do they do studies on on how those two can. I mean the effects on both of them together. If it waters it down, I don't know. I, mean,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I, I feel like it's too new to even know.
1: Yeah, there haven't there haven't been a lot of like medication specific trials. There's been some studies done specifically because of the the clot risk with COVID specifically. Mm-hmm. So and then with you know what happened with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, there have been studies into the use of like aspirin and other anticoagulants and stuff. Um, is that necessary for getting the vaccine? Um, and all of that's been like no, you don't really need that. Um, but like you know. Caution in like the hypercoagulable population, um, but really in terms of like clot risk and stuff, like that's we've I- identified pretty well the the people who are at risk for that. Um, and actually, interestingly, I was just reading about this. So COVID can cause a ton of clots, right? Um, most of that is just because you're like a hyperinflammatory state, which can trigger the clotting cascade. We just know and people who get septic get clots all the time because there's just tons of inflammation. But also. COVID is, um, has been shown to, in not all patients, but in patients who are getting clots, like half of patients who are getting clots in this one study, um, are getting auto antibodies similar to what we see in like antiphospholipid syndrome. So they're actually, COVID is triggering an autoimmune clotting process, which is super scary. (laughs) Wow.
2: Whoa.
0: Yeah. So. And then one thing, you know, that I do want to talk about is this new, this new strand of covid that is that is coming from is africa is that omicron yeah, yeah south africa
1: so. omicron 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 it's not great I, I didn't
0: know about this until like right now and it's i don't i don't watch the news um but for our listeners what do we learn from our first experience with covid the delta how do we approach this should, i mean mm-hmm. shoot i mean how bad is it
1: yeah i mean i'm not an epidemiologist so i don't I, or a virologist people right? wrong in my house
0: <laughs>
1: call spencer don't you gotta stop calling me mo you gotta stop calling me
2: lose my number Mo. yeah
1: yeah um so to start with what we know about omicron it's um the it's pretty early it was just identified like a week and a half ago i think in south africa um it doesn't seem to be causing more severe symptoms um but it has like 30 plus Mutations, which is a lot. I don't remember how many Delta had, but it wasn't, it was less than half that. I'm pretty sure. I think it was like 10 or 11 um, or less. I don't know. I don't know how many Delta had. Let's drop that. Um, but yeah, it has 30 plus mutations, Omicron does, which means that the likelihood that it can cause a reinfection and evade whatever immunity someone has built up is much higher, higher. because it's presenting itself in a different way. Um, I actually uh, appreciate what biden said recently he said what how did he say he said like it's cause it's not cause for panic but it is cause for concern so um i think what we learned with delta is that you know covid may or may not become something that we're going to be dealing with for a very for like the indefinite future um so you know we need to take strong steps to try to you know contain it Because the less that it can spread, the less that it can mutate and become something else. Um, There are some countries that are doing some lockdowns already. There's some travel restrictions from South Africa, which actually the WHO has has decried, which is interesting. But I think for the average person right now, um, you know, my advice is, you know, be safe, you know, get vaccinated if you're not vaccinated, if you're in a population that that's recommended in um if you're recommended to get a booster i would i would do that just give yourself the best fighting chance
0: like how do you know if it's for you right because i've taken the other two shots and now it's the booster and tomorrow's like the double booster and then and then now there's the strand so i mean at this point is should i wait till this hits and then take this other new or what is the booster really doing
1: That's, I mean, that's, that's kind of the the question right now is, you know, how effective are these vaccines against this new strain? And we just don't know. South Africa has like a super low, um, vaccination rate. I think they're at like 20 some low 20% vaccination rate. So the studies in terms of like vaccine efficacy are like, because we just don't have, they're just, the population is terrible for studying that right now. Um, it's still, you know, it's still SARS-CoV-2, right? So you're gonna having a previous infection or being vaccinated is going and actually ideally both going to increase your ability to have a fighting chance against it right um whether or not you know the booster right now is going to have a really demonstrable impact on that we're we're not entirely sure um but the recommendation is to get it um to be on the safe side yeah if that makes sense
0: yeah absolutely and then who is somebody neutral that we can Go in and and read like something away from like Fox News or you know mm. like somewhere I don't know like I guess if i I'm tired of hearing this that we need it, we don't need it. is there like a somewhere outside a different website from the cDC hypothetically that can give me information that is also coming from Europe? and not just the u.s hypothetically
1: Mm -hmm. well if you are not if you don't want to look look at the cdc um then you probably don't want to look at the who if that's I, i absolutely recommend the information coming from the cdc um i think they're a very trustworthy organization um but and also the who but if those are two organizations that you are um not interested in in reading um then i think um there, are, there are like kind of several different journals. I mean, you can go into the journals themselves, the actual research, but it's actually really hard to, to, sure. to read that information. And like, there's, it's really easy to do some like statistical, kind of fiddling yeah. and make things say what you want them to say. Absolutely. Um, so, without kind of like statistics training, it's kind of hard to, to really look into those. Um, I think talking to your healthcare provider is always a great place to start. Um, and then, if you're hearing something that surprises you from, from your provider. Um, you know, you can call Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> your uh, phone number
2: is. Go ahead, go ahead.
1: Uh, my phone number is 555, 555, <laughs> 555. <laughs> Um, yeah. Uh, it's something your provider says surprises you, um, then you know that's you can you can call. Your local hospital has tons of like COVID information. There's
2: crisis lines for COVID. Yes.
1: So those are great numbers to call. Their websites have a lot of information too. Um, I think the information that you're going to get from the healthcare centers is going to be your best bet as far as your like regional good vetted information. Because their interest is you not being in their hospital. So the information Mm -hmm. they're going to give you is to keep you out of their hospital.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're pushing people out. For the first time. (laughs) After...
1: Yeah, until the, <laughs> until they get, uh, um, you know, surgeries back up and running. Then they're like, oh, yeah, come on, baby. Yeah. <laughs> come back in. That's where the money's <laughs> at. We're ready for that money. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. I I think that's a lot of really good information.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you, he's like,
2: yeah, we're, like full information. <laughs> yeah, being in school, you've just been exposed to so many different things. I'm, I'm really I'm really thankful that I know now that healthcare professionals that are in training or in school and med school are getting a foundation for mental health because they it's it's kind of scary sending some of these people out to the world and then being a healthcare provider really just not really knowing who are these people that I'm looking at and now you have a different perspective.
0: And it's good to know that there this new set of young, you know, right doctors that mm-hmm. when I see our, our our healthcare system mental health system if, if you don't know somebody like, like, like Spencer, it is, it's defeating to just, just be in it and not see progress. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, and there is progress, perhaps this is very small. Um, but it's good to see somebody like, like you, thank you for coming in our show to say oh. like, we are like, we're trying our best to actually move this. Well, this and boat. it's really, it's mm-hmm. really
2: nice for us to be able to tell people that are struggling out there with health, health. Uh, mental health disorders, um, depression and anxiety, because they're already not feeling well. And so it's hard for them to trust or believe that the people that are working in the field actually want to be helpful. So it, it's really good to be able to put that out out on our show for people that are listening that um, everybody that we've come across, they are passionate about um, what they're doing and there's there there are helpful places and there's a lot of people that are that we're connected with so they can they can find out from us or on our show that this is what it looks like if you go to these places so you know what to expect yeah so this is this is all really good information spencer
0: because we can utilize this and say if we if you're listening to us a lot of people who listen to us work in you know in the hospitals we get clients, parents, we get family members. Like, what, what is it over there? And and we don't know. I was like, well, I don't know. I've never never been there.
2: Ellen, Th- with COVID, we're not even like so many people are limited. Like, you are, you can't go into these facilities, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You're so you're so limited. So you just have to like. Basically, like our parents just put together this vision from what their kids are telling them, and of course, you've seen it. Like yeah. this, this place is torture. I, you know, yeah. I don't want to be here. This is what we mm-hmm. do, and and they're painting their own picture, but it's really hard to actually see what's going on there. Yeah. So
0: now, this is good stuff. Thank you so much. It'll be resourceful for those families to just here. There is good people that are taking yeah. care of your loved ones, um and uh, regardless of where we are in, in terms of medicine. We are we're here to keep him safe, ultimately.
2: And we're here to just keep giving out the knowledge Yes, because people don't know But they don't know. Yes. And so I like being able to have more information just to give it out to people so they're more educated. Yeah. They can make decisions on their own a lot better. I feel like
0: now. Now I feel good. You know, if if I have a psychotic break, which I think I'm too late for that. But, you know, (laughs) if something were to happen, I'm at peace. I'm going to go get happy and what did you say happy and fat and happy. Well, yeah. and people shouldn't be yeah,
2: <laughs> and people shouldn't detour themselves from medical help because of their mental health disorder. Absolutely. So they people should know and this would help someone that's really struggling with depression, suicide um, they're they're having a psychotic break or they're really manic that even if they go in for a medical situ- issue that the provider has a background in in mental health mm-hmm. um, issues yeah. so that's and
1: great as a as side, super encouraging that more cities like Boise are incorporating you know like mental health experts uh, as resources for the police force because a lot of these these patients I mean people who are in the street having a problem, if the officer gets kind of pissed off, mm-hmm. like this ass, this asshole, yeah. they can just, they can, they can see there's a problem, but they're like, I'm taking him to jail. Yeah. And the pathway from jail to care versus, you know, this person is having a problem, the pathway from there to the state hospital is so much faster and so much more effective and totally less traumatic. Yes, less traumatic and to get goes around this whole, you know, crazy legal process that's just going to, I mean it's going to eat up years of their life so yeah that's really encouraging we
0: need to bring somebody in to talk more about that
1: i think i think you should bring somebody in to talk about that yeah yeah
2: (laughs) we we definitely should we should we should bring in police officers that
1: a person like
0: even mental health coordinators and on the field so we'll, we'll try to find somebody to to talk about that journey and what we're doing within the community to to enhance that Right? <laughs> yeah. Good luck finding someone. Right? Weird. <laughs> yeah. We'll find somebody.
2: <laughs> well, thank you again, Spencer, for coming in and sharing your time and all the information you had with us.
1: Mm-hmm. My pleasure. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And thank you, all our listeners. Thank you so much. We are doing great. We appreciate all the love. Uh, if you have any questions? If you have anybody in the community who is who is not getting the trophy and who we need to be talking to, send them our way.
2: Yes. Find us at noteveryonegetsatrophy.com. And tune in every Monday, 5 a.m.
0: Thank you, Spencer. Yeah. All right. Adios.